reading is from Matthew 12, 1 to 8. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Jesus answered, Haven't you read that David, what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he, his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Good morning, everyone. Nice to see you all again. Now, over the years, I've had a few different uh, jobs. Once upon a time, I was an administrator in an office in a large-ish organisation, and we used to have monthly meetings of all the uh, administrators from across the different departments. Now, there was this one person on this team who was a real negative Nancy, a stickler for the rules. On top of that, because she worked for, well, let's just say, the head record keeper, Adelaide's a small place after all, and I don't want to give too much away, she thought it was her job to keep all of us plebs in line with her way of doing things. No one was as smart as her and no one could get the job right. If we said or did something that didn't fit with her way, we could expect a dressing down in a meeting, a threatening email and occasionally a personal visit to whip us back into line. Now perhaps you can relate to this story. Maybe you even know or live with someone who's a little bit like this. Or perhaps you could even see a little bit of yourself in this person. Now, my sometimes friend and work colleague may well have been, strictly speaking, right on most occasions. However, her manner of conveying this meant that any grace or love was lost. And instead of being respected, most of us just marvelled that she didn't get fired. Now, in some ways, this reminds me of this little story in Matthew's Gospel, the Pharisees were always on the lookout for someone breaking the law and were quick to dispense condemnation to whip people back into line with their understanding of how to keep the law of Moses and its roughly 613 commandments, but especially how to keep the Sabbath. In their zeal for keeping the Sabbath, they were quick to condemn Jesus' disciples and they forgot all about grace, love and mercy. You see, the trouble was, over the centuries, a long line of teachers had added rule after rule to further regulate the keeping of the commandments, especially the Sabbath. By the time we get to Jesus' day, the rabbis, and consequently the Pharisees, had developed some 39 categories, that's right, 39 categories, of forbidden work regulating the Sabbath, and many more regulations for each of those categories. It was no longer restful, but a strict regiment of obedience. They had missed the point of the Sabbath and turned it into something else altogether. Jesus deliberately challenged these regulations, particularly when it came to the Sabbath, 
And in doing so, he declares that what God desires is not rigid obedience to the law, but mercy. So what does it all mean for us today? Well, we'll get to that. Let's pray first, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you that we can come together this morning to study your word. I ask that you'd help us to understand it and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in your leaflets, which hopefully you got as you came in, you'll see a short outline, highlights where we're heading today. A couple of headings there, breaking the law, the three appeals, Lord of the Sabbath, and then we'll wrap it up with the discussion of what does it all, what does it all mean for us. So number one, breaking the law. In Matthew 12, 1 and 2, it says, At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Now what's going on here? Were the Pharisees out sneaking along behind Jesus and hiding in the wheat field only to suddenly pop out of the grain, pointing fingers and shouting, Aha, we've got you now. It's almost like a Monty Python-esque comical scene, isn't it? And what are they doing out on the Sabbath anyway? Aren't they supposed to be resting? One can almost say they were making a job out of trying to catch Jesus out in some way. And they seemed pretty certain that they had him this time. Here was a clear-cut example of Jesus' disciples, and by extension Jesus, breaking the law. Or so they thought. So they jump out from behind the bushes, point the fingers and shout, Your disciples are breaking the law. You can almost picture the kinds of expressions on their faces as they stare at Jesus. You can practically hear their minds whirring as they wait to see what Jesus has to say to this. And, it's, and although it's not framed as a question, it is indeed a question. They're testing Jesus to see how he will respond. And how does he respond? What can we learn about Jesus' character here? How might we have responded in a similar situation? After all, these weren't run-of-the-mill people in the street. They were men of authority, leaders in society, the influencers and teachers, if you will. If they wanted to, they seemingly, to borrow a modern expression, could cancel Jesus. Up until then, they had the ear of the people. They were not the kind of people you wanted to get on the wrong side of. So what do we learn about Jesus here? Is he intimidated? Is he, does he back down? On the contrary, he doesn't backpedal. He doesn't tell his disciples off. He doesn't throw them under the bus, as it were. And he doesn't bow to the Pharisees' authority and apologise for his seeming mistake. No, he defends his disciples and he fires back at the Pharisees. He shoots two questions and a quote from the scripture right back at them. Somewhat accusing questions, I might add. Questions and examples from Scripture given with a certain authority of their own. No doubt his wording and his manner are an affront to the Pharisees. Now picture, if you will, the looks of incredulousness, the surprise, the affront to their sense of pride and authority, their indignation as they look at each other and ask, who does this man think he is? Questioning us. Who is he to quote the Scripture to us as if we don't know it? What authority is this simple man from Galilee got claiming when he speaks to us in this way? Now, those of you who are in high school here, and those of you who are a little bit older, can you imagine speaking back or questioning, say, your principal at school? 
your parents, or dare I say it, your pastor. Imagine you're caught red-handed breaking the rules, and instead of respecting their authority, you question their knowledge, their authority. Haven't you heard about the time Greg from year six used the staff bathroom? Dad, don't you remember when you were hungry and you ate my lunch without asking? Pastor, don't you remember in the Bible where it says David was, King David was a man after God's own heart, yet he was a murderer and an adulterer? Don't you know anything? Now, I think it's very unlikely in a situation like this that any one of these people would respond by saying, oh, yes, you're right, I'm so sorry, carry on eating the grain on the Sabbath, off you go. So what was Jesus hoping to accomplish by challenging the Pharisees? Well, I don't think he expected a change of heart. I think his answers were more for those witnessing this exchange, this battle of authority, the everyday people. And in a very real sense, Jesus is still asking challenging questions of us today. Perhaps some of you here, if you're not a Christian or you're still exploring Christianity, a helpful question could be to ask, what questions does Jesus stir up in you? How do you react to Jesus? Now, no doubt this story gets repeated and repeated, and people all over the country at that time probably get to hear about this exchange. Did you hear about Jesus' disciples breaking the Sabbath again? They were caught red-handed, and when questioned, Jesus didn't rebuke them. Instead, he defended them. Not only that, he challenged the Pharisees. He even claimed to be Lord of the Sabbath. Who is this man? Now, for us reading this story today, it's a very short story, perhaps one that barely raises an eyebrow and barely sticks out in our minds. But for those witnessing it and hearing about it, it was a really big deal indeed. Something that had everyone talking. Now, the Pharisees, they were sure they had Jesus caught in a bind, red-handed, nowhere to go. But Jesus turns the tables. He bests the Pharisees at their own game and leaves them speechless. Scripture records no verbal response, but make no mistake about it, they are moved. So moved, in fact, that they are violently angry. In their minds, Jesus is no longer a mere curiosity, no longer an annoying nuisance. He is now enemy number one. Someone who threatens everything they believe in, and worse than that, people are listening. The whole nation is turning out in their thousands to hear what Jesus has to say. You can imagine them saying to one another, if this man continues, he's going to destroy everything we believe in. He has to be stopped. We have to do something. And next week we'll see in verse 14 of the chapter that they went away and plotted to kill Jesus. Now, we see that response as murderous and evil, but actually to them it was in keeping with the law of Moses. You see, in Exodus 35, verse 2, it says, For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day shall be your holy day, a day of Sabbath rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it is to be put to death. How ironic, then, that Jesus' challenge to the Pharisees includes the words of the prophet Hosea, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And what is the Pharisees' response? It's the least merciful thing they could do. We must sacrifice this one man by killing him for the sake of the nation. To echo John 
they respond in exactly the opposite manner that Jesus states God requires of them. Their self-righteous pride is now so stirred up that they are set on a path of destruction without mercy, without grace, without love. But Jesus, on the other hand, declares, God desires mercy, not sacrifice. He defends his disciples and challenges the Pharisees with three appeals or examples from Scripture. That's our second heading today. But before we get to those three appeals, let's just step back for a minute. I want us to ask ourselves, what can we learn from the example and the way of the Pharisees and the way of Jesus? What's the contrast here? How can we compare them? On the one hand, Jesus' way is a true Sabbath rest about gentleness. I desire mercy over sacrifice and about humbleness of heart. Come to God with the right attitude and you will be accepted. We read this last week in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. On the other hand, we have the Pharisees with their heavy burden, their 39 categories of work, their many more regulations regarding the keeping of the Sabbath, such that observing the Sabbath was a job in itself. Their way of obedience was one of self-righteous pride through strict outward observance of the law, with the result being prideful hearts, lacking in mercy and grace. So who are we like in our obedience to God? Are we like the Pharisees or are we like Jesus? Now, of course, we tend to, have, we tend to look down on the Pharisees as the bad guys and we tend to say to ourselves, well, we don't want to be like them or we're not like them. But are we really that different? These men were zealous for God. They studied the scriptures studiously. They were anxious that others would follow the scriptures. It was their belief that through strict obedience to the law, they would receive God's blessing. And then the nation could be restored and the Romans could be kicked out. Are we really that different? We study the scriptures. I hope we're zealous for God. We meet regularly to encourage each other in our faith. And most Christians, I think, would like to see other Christians in positions of power and influence over our nation because most would feel that obedience to God as a nation invites blessing. Now, the Pharisees had added and added to the law in an attempt to ensure strict obedience. But what is our attitude to obedience to God's word? There's a tendency among some Christians today to live as though God's graciousness, gracious forgiveness gives us a license to sin. Repent, sin, repent, sin, or perhaps even just to sin. The Apostle Paul the Apostle Paul warned against this attitude in Romans 6, 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? While some Christians go the opposite way, and like the Pharisees, we can be guilty of adding to God's word and demanding strict obedience. For example, how many Christians argue over things like which version of the Bible is right? Or... Uh, <clears throat> how and when to be baptised, over things like alcohol or various interpretations of the scripture. How many churches would be happy with someone like me rocking up in sandals and a t-shirt today? I don't know. 
And then they go on to make these things conditional on being members or look down on others because they don't do them. And there's probably lots of other examples we could think of. Now, instead of this, we want to be like Jesus, who didn't say, don't obey God. He said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commands. We are still called to obey God, but the place to start is within our hearts, with an attitude of humility. The law was not designed so that people in their keeping of it would arrive at a place of self-righteous pride in their own achievements, like the Pharisees had. But instead it was designed to show how we cannot keep it and need to humbly seek God, not in our pride, but in humility, seeking mercy. So when we think of ourselves or someone else caught out who ought to be obeying a particular instruction in the Bible, it's a helpful thing to ask ourselves, how does this help us and them follow God? Now the Pharisees were bothered about Jesus' disciples picking grain to munch on when they, were, when they were hungry because it was the Sabbath. But they didn't stop and think, maybe these men are hungry. Perhaps we could offer them some food or a meal or some money to buy some food. What action would most likely have pointed them to God? Condemnation or mercy? So the three appeals. In defending the disciples, Jesus appeals to the example of King David, verses 3 and 4. Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? Now in Mark's Gospel, in the same account it says, they were hungry and in need. In verse 4, he entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only the priests. Why did Jesus not judge King David in this situation as a lawbreaker? Because David and his companions were hungry and in need. If your focus is on strict obedience, then David should have been condemned. But if your focus is on mercy, then David is not condemned. Likewise, in verse 5, haven't you read in the law that the priests on the, in their Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? Here Jesus appeals to the example of the priests, who in their priestly duties work on the Sabbath in a manner no one else was permitted to. Why are they spared from condemnation? Because they are worshipping God. So it's not the act of work itself that leads to condemnation, but the inner attitude of their hearts. That's what Jesus is driving at with his third appeal to the prophet Isaiah, verse 7. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. So to sum up these three appeals, we see Jesus appealing to the example of a king, to the example of the priests, and to the words of a prophet who by their actions, and lastly the prophet by his words, declare outward obedience to the law, or sacrifice, is secondary to a heart attitude of mercy and love. Obedience that is pleasing to God starts with our hearts. Lord of the Sabbath, our third heading. Notice the pattern of the three appeals. We have a king, we have a priest, and we have a prophet. And Jesus himself is all three of these and more. He is the eternal anointed king in David's line, the high priest who goes before God on our behalf, and the prophet who proclaims himself able to speak the very words of God, as it were. He declares in Matthew chapter 12, I tell you that something greater than the temple here is here, for the Son of God, Son of Man, is Lord of the Sabbath. Now in making these declarations, Jesus is talking about himself. 
and his disciples, busy with a heart attitude desiring to follow Jesus, whom they recognised as the Son of God, and therefore greater than the temple and Lord of the Sabbath, in following him through a field and munching on some grain, they are seeking God, and they are not condemned, but are shown mercy. Again, it's the heart attitude, not outward observance of strict rules, that determines whether or not the disciples were condemned or shown mercy. Now let's just fact check this claim of the Pharisees, shall we? Did the disciples actually break the law by picking grain on the Sabbath? Well, sorry to say it, Pharisees, but you're wrong. The law itself permitted the picking of grain from your neighbour's field to satisfy your own hunger. And you can look that up in Deuteronomy 23, verses 24 to 25. However, according to the traditions of the elders, those regulations that they'd added on, it was unlawful to do so on the Sabbath. But Jesus goes against the Sabbath tradition and the Pharisees, who, rather than listening and understanding the examples from Scripture, they resort to the command to kill the Sabbath breaker, as it is written in Exodus 35. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath is to be put to death. In doing so, they again miss the point. Because back in Exodus, when God gave Moses these instructions about keeping the Sabbath, he also said in, verse, in chapter 34, verses 4 to 7, So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets. Then the Lord came down. He passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, mercy, and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. So you see, God has always desired love or mercy over outward obedience. The law was given to humble people into recognising their need for forgiveness and mercy. Perhaps it's also helpful for us to ask ourselves the question, what are our sacred traditions that are not actually in the Bible? So how was Jesus Lord of the Sabbath? As the Son of God and Lord of the Sabbath, he created the Sabbath in the beginning when God said in Genesis 2 verse 3, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all his work of creating that he had done. Now each of the six sorry, each of the six days of creation are declared to be over in Genesis chapter one with the statement there was evening and there was morning the first day. And so on with each day, until we get to the seventh day. And then interestingly, there's no line about evening and morning, the day being over. So in a very real sense, God's rest is proclaimed over all creation on the seventh day and was to continue. All creation was now invited to live in and under God's perfect rest, a world without sin and struggle. What am I talking about? Well, the writer of Hebrews explains this in a bit more detail in Hebrews chapter 4. I'll read a couple of extracts there. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter the rest, and since those that formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. 
than when Jesus talked about rest in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, when he said, Come to me and I will give you rest, and you will find rest for your souls. He's not talking about smoko. He's not talking about recess or a lunch break or even a Sabbath day of rest. He's talking about the rest from the curse of sin. Rest from our own sin and life's daily struggle. Perfect rest as God intended for his creation in the beginning. And that Jesus restores through faith in him. This rest for our souls is the mercy of God to us. It is undeserved. It's the free gift of God for all who put their faith in him as king, as priest and as prophet, the Lord of the Sabbath. Now is the day to put our faith in Jesus and receive his gift of mercy and enter into his perfect rest. I'll leave you with a couple of things to take away today. We don't want to be like the Pharisees. We don't want to make their mistake. They turned obedience into a heavy burden and made it all about them and in so doing became puffed up and proud of their own righteousness. They missed the point of the law and the Sabbath rest, and thought they could keep it in their own strength. The thing for us to remember is that what God desires is a humble heart that comes to him seeking mercy. Where to respond to Jesus' invitation? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Obedience is still for us today. We are to obey God's word, but it starts out of love. God in his mercy has provided rest for us, through faith in Jesus Christ, and our obedience is a response to his mercy, his love. And we are to represent God as the one who desires grace and mercy over sacrifice, whose burden is light and easy, and who desires a humble and contrite attitude of heart over prideful self-righteousness. In doing this, our task is to be like Jesus, who didn't directly condemn the Pharisees. Instead, he challenged them to look into the Scriptures and learn what God really desires. Thank you.